0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 17 of Renar Voice. I'm your co-host Robert Swatala and with me my other co-host Jeff Mazone. How are you Jeff? Good morning Robert. What's going on? Not much. How you been? I've had a week yeah, I've had a, I've had a week. I, I I I know, I know that. Um, and so I'm glad that you were able to make it to today for for the episode because it was a roller coaster kind of week for you.
1: Yep. Yeah. God provides. I'm definitely passing through the Red Sea. Uh, looking forward to seeing the uh, bodies of my enemies wash up on the shore, <laughs> <laughs> which is mo- most of which, um, you know, just my own brokenness and pride and arrogance. So looking forward to seeing just a little piece of those absolutely washed absolutely. up you know you know and it's
0: it's interesting you say that too because i think you know when we go through those seasons those red sea moments and we get to the other side um i know for myself i often don't look back and not to see the 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 carnage of my enemy you know you're a little bit more twisted than i am but i don't look back to see the blessing you know i, mm. I that's that i just keep going forward and i think it's an important thing to, to stop and look back and realize, wow that was rough, but the the God provided and uh, got me through it. So I know that's a valuable lesson for me.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I generally, um, when it comes to the Lord moving me forward, I'm kind of like a horse that has to get beaten over the head in order to, (laughs) you know, just the stubbornness of it all, but also just needing clear direction. And I often, in looking back at the blessings that that often is the pattern that the Lord continues to, um, bring me through, but I often do it, kicking and screaming, and um, maybe one day I will learn to just uh, let abandonment be—you know—that true compass to kind of guide me through whatever's going on. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here
0: because I couldn't do this without you. So um, it wouldn't be the same. So I'm glad. I'm glad we're together, and and we got a really, really. Uh, special treat. This is what we would call a special, a special edition, right? Special a feature. Special, yep. special feature. Yeah. And I've been,
1: I've been waiting to see which adjective
0: you're going to use. I, to I know, describe. I know. <laughs> I, I got to stop using excited. I mean, I, I, I don't know what th- that's just, it's hard for me to verbalize my today's emotions.
1: big today. We have
0: your yeah. site supervisor. So. I, I know. So a lot of pressure. Uh, this is this is a big one. I mean, this could make or break my next fifteen weeks and beyond. So uh, I gotta be I gotta be really good here. You might be um, passing through the
1: Red Sea after this, yeah.
0: my friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, we have uh, today a special feature, um, and it's a delight for me and an honor for me to be able to introduce my site supervisor, and uh, it is Anna Zacardo. And Anna Zicardo is the owner of Living Free, Southern Tier Mental Health Counseling PLLC. Living Free is a Christian Counseling center with locations in Falconer and Endicott, New York. Living Free has successfully worked with numerous families and individuals of all ages to successfully achieve healthy living. This is accomplished through a partnership between the therapist, clients and their creator. This partnership is designed to identify and apply scriptural principles established by the creator, designer for a powerful, healing, and living, healthy living. Anna has over 25 years of experience as a Christian therapist, educator, and administrator. She is known for understanding issues concerning the family, including depression, grief, and loss, early childhood development, marriage and family, life-workplace balance, domestic violence, and child abuse. Their broad range of experience has provided an effective foundation for working with issues in young children, adolescents, and adults. Anna is a nationally certified counselor and licensed in both Connecticut and New York State. She is a certified rape crisis counselor and has also been trained by the National Children's Advocacy Center as a child forensic interviewer for multidisciplinary child abuse investigative teams. She graduated from Geneva College in Beaver Falls, PA, with a degree in psychology, and then earned her master's degree in counseling from Western Connecticut State University. And she has been in private practice for 15 years. Anna resides with her husband and six children in Lakewood, New York. And it is a great honor for me to introduce and welcome Anna Zicardo to our episode.
2: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for your willingness to spend some time with us, and, and I guess, as Jeff would say, willingness to bring me on, because that's probably, as Jeff would say, quite the gamble. So, um, you know, so thank you for that. Um, so, so, we're going to go ahead and get started with this right away, uh, and really what we wanted to, to kind of focus a lot of this conversation on is, is on the concept of trauma, and, and really looking at that from a Christian perspective. And so, if you could, could you share a little bit how you became interested in trauma therapy, and for those of our listeners that may be interested in dealing with trauma and trauma therapy, uh, any type of specialized training or certifications that you would recommend uh, through some of your experience uh, in dealing with this topic?
2: :-hmm: Yeah, looking back, I can see God planting the seeds of my path you know way way back to childhood, um, and in, in hindsight, you know, one of the things that you do in trauma training is uh, family genealogy, and you take a look at where your family's been generationally. So, it's interesting because I had started doing that before it was a thing uh, in the early 80s as part of a school project, and we were um, encouraged to do public speaking, and we had to create our own Topic and research it, and then present it to the class. And so I'd been reading a book at the time; uh, it was a, a true story of a child's journey through child abuse, and I was very struck by it. So I was curious if there was any research out there. So I, you know, back at that in that day, you didn't have online resources. So you actually had to go to the library and you know dig up books and. Um, but I put together the, the presentation and it got such a reaction from the class and the teacher. I got sent to um, a, a liberal arts competition and, and I got to present it there. And so that was very striking to me. And that was my senior year that summer after graduation. I worked at a Christian camp. And one of the weeks we had the disadvantaged kids from the city that were sent to the camp Uh, for a week just to learn about Christ and and get a country experience. Some of them had never seen deer before um, or huge trees or more than a couple of trees in one place. So it was really interesting from that perspective. But I'd go around and say goodnight to, to all of the kids, and they started telling me their stories of abuse. And I was really distressed about it and went to the director of the camp at the time and said, well, there must be something that we can do. Who do we tell about this? We can't send them back. And at the time, there was no um, consistent avenues for reporting, and even if it was reported, there wasn't much that was done about it. And so, that made quite an impact on me. At the time, you know, you pray for them, which is not nothing, but it, it planted seeds for me that years later, when I ended up in Connecticut, I worked with... Um, Child Protective Services to develop a curriculum for identifying child abuse and reporting it. And they then hired the organization that I was running at the time to go around and train professionals in the area for understanding it, for identifying it, who to call, how to get a consult. Um, So it it really was something that started very young, and then God grew and developed it over the years. Currently, I work at... um, living free and started that that practice in Endicott, New York back in, I think it was 2002, um, and then became incorporated as I had other counselors that joined me. Um, and I was able to pull on experience that I had after graduating with my master's at Silver Hill Hospital in New Canaan, Connecticut. And we they have multiple um, disciplines there. You, you could work with um, depression. You could work at the acute care unit. You could work at outpatient and they, so they had different tracks for different um, for different issues, and I had an opportunity to choose between working with depression or working with trauma and i It was very striking to me at the time, because I remember praying about it and asking God what he thought, and I got a very clear message that I should pick the more difficult path and they were it was It was known to be a very difficult track, and there was not as much known about trauma you know thirty thirty five years ago so we were really learning as we went along and it's just amazing to me to see how the research since then has been so helpful in understanding how to deal with people who have been through situations that deeply affect your ability to relate and to cope and right down to your spirituality, um, so it's gratifying to do this kind of work, but it's difficult too, right? Because you're, you're constantly hearing people's stories and um, walking with them through some of those dark places. So training for trauma, there's several different ones out there. Um, I've gotten my CCTP, which is the Certified Clinical Trauma Professional um, through PESI, and I also got my um, CC. Um, CCATP, which is the Clinical Certified Anxiety Trauma uh, Professional, and both of those work with new information on neurobiology and brain science and ways that you can take pictures of the brain and see where areas are lighting up, what's affected, um, what a normal brain structure looks like versus a brain structure that's been affected by trauma, and it's just fascinating information, but it's great to know some of those best practices and be able to bring that into, um, into sessions and work with clients on that and to watch them be able to heal their brain and get better to engage in their relationships in ways that are healing and productive to leave abusive relationships and be empowered to do that. So those those are the two uh, certifications that, that I would recommend. There's a number of different books on trauma, and this is certainly not an exhaustive list. But these are some of my favorites. Uh, Bessel van der Kolk is w- very well known for his work with with trauma. Um, but The Body Keeps Score is a fabulous book to read if you're if you're going into trauma work. Um, I love Patrick Carnes. He's done some amazing work on um, the addiction of pornography. Which they're now recognizing as one coping method for dealing with trauma, um, but the Betrayal Bond is a great book. Um, they have a an evaluation in there that people can fill out, and it lets you know which uh, which of the eight areas of trauma coping you score high in, and it's it gives not just education on that type of coping and where it comes from and why it's effective to survive. It's not great for thriving, but it's, it's good for survival. And then some recommendations for therapeutic uh, tools and, and exercises that heal some of those dysfunctional ways of coping. Leslie Vernick is a, a Christian author who's written The Emotionally Damaging Marriage, so that's fantastic for working with um, marriages that have abuse and dysfunction. And Dale Allender. Um, we wrote "Cry of the Soul and Wounded Heart." Again, gives a really fabulous perspective on um, understanding trauma from a Christian perspective. And those are just some of the the resources and and certifications that that I would recommend. There's definitely others out there, so people should do their own research and see what what suits them.
1: Anna, thanks so much. That that's really helpful. Um, and you, you mentioned. Dr. Vanderkolk and we we read that book at Liberty in our crisis counseling class, and a lot of his ideas in that book have kind of propelled certain angles that we take with this podcast. Uh, so it's kind of uh, it's affirming to hear that that's a kind of a top resource for you. Uh, also, just hearing you share just kind of the earlier days of you getting into this side of the profession. And this this leads into our next question about kind of looking at this from a distinctly christian perspective 12 years ago i had an opportunity to help out at doing a retreat at an all girls um, catholic school in in the city in washington heights and it was for the seniors and we broke up into small groups and in the group that i was in there were 27 girls all of whom were hispanic and um it somehow came up about sexual abuse and by the end of that small group, all 27 girls had shared a story of them being abused by a parent, a sibling, an uncle, a cousin, somebody. And we walked away from that and we we're like, well, what do we do now? Like we mm-hmm. can't just we can't just leave them. Like they've yeah. opened up, they've shared this with us, and, and we're not we're not counselors. We're 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 clergy here. So uh we're kind of at a loss so now now coming from the other side like I, I wonder what does the trauma therapy look like from that christian counseling perspective and and how does that look different from the more conventional i guess secular approach if we're, if we're going to have a dichotomous way of thinking of it but like even, even where in a situation like that where could there be an, an integration
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand what you're asking. Probably I would make a clarification of how we're defining trauma, because what I find, especially in Christian realms, there's not a deep understanding of trauma and how trauma affects biology and development. And so I love how Leslie Vernick says it in in her book, um, The Emotionally Damaging Marriage. She said, you have to discern trauma and um, the abusive ways of coping so that you treat the relationship appropriately. And the classic is if you don't understand the difference between trauma and abuse and abusive type of coping and relating, you treat a cancer like a common cold and the treatment is very different. What you do for a cold and healing it is not what you do for cancer, which you need to cut out. (laughs) So I would define trauma as, um, intensely distressing life experiences that affect us really holistically, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, in ways that disrupt disrupt our sense of safety and or our connection. We're hardwired for belonging and meaning, so we're always seeking that connection. And when we've had either situational or relational experiences that put that at risk, either dramatically in a one-time situation, which we would call big T trauma, or uh, low level but consistently over time, which is called little t trauma, it really affects our ability to um, to relate and to have a, a healthy understanding of ourselves, of a divine being God, a creator of relationship with other people. Um, Bessel van der Kolk describes it, and you, you read it in his book that it leaves traces, large or small in our mind, our emotions, that you know it affects our capacity for joy and intimacy, our biology, our immunity. so all of those things are affected by trauma, and when somebody's wounded and the wound hasn't been healed, the behavior that comes out of the wound is unique and distinctly different from just any other kind of behavior at its core, so I would say like motive, but the behaviors can look similar to any other behavior on the surface. So if you can't get underneath when you're doing uh, therapeutic assessment and determine that trauma is present, you can actually make the problem worse by treating it like a common cold rather than recognizing that there's something more problematic going on. So being trained in trauma is really helpful. I, I recommend it for every therapist. You may not specialize in trauma. That might be not be the, um, the group that you want to work with, but then you would want to be able to assess when it's present, so that you can either refer or know how to treat it. You know that, that differential diagnosis because the, the treatment, of course, matters. Um, so, so in defining trauma as different than just, you know, challenges and trials in life the treatment is different somewhat from the start, and then understanding from a Christian perspective that God designed us in a certain way to function perfectly before the fall. And so we know the story of Adam and Eve if we come from a Christian family or if we've been to church, but really understanding what that looks like in your office <laughs> when you're meeting people and doing assessments and uh, being able to engage with clients in a storytelling way um, because we're we're wired for meaning so the fact is we're always looking for that connection and then talking to ourselves about our experiences and trying to you know connect those dots in a way that has meaning so telling stories you know Jesus did it with parables and it just has a great impact describing how the fall affected us that we broke and what broke is our understanding of the way that we were designed to function so that what comes to us naturally isn't God's way. And as Christians, we read scripture, so we have an idea of what God's looking for. It's kind of set up as the standard. And in that brokenness, we try to accomplish God's will in our way. And the the greater tragedy of it is we don't know that. The way we find out is when we continue doing our way, and God allows it to melt down. So at that point, I see people in my office um, particularly if they're Christians and they've been trying to diligently live a Christian life and grieving that their faith is getting shaken. They don't know if God is who He says He is. I love Psalm 73, but there's plenty of others. Jeremiah 13, Ezekiel has some, um, where the uh, writer is looking around saying, oh my goodness, I thought I knew who God was and I I realize I don't know if I know who God is. He says that he hates wickedness. He punishes that. But I look around, the wicked are prospering. And look at me, I'm the one that's suffering. Psalm 73 is is great. There's humor in it, too, when he describes going into the um, into the temple of the Lord and he has this conversation with God and he gets his epiphany moment. And he says, oh, my goodness, I was like a wild animal, a beast. I just didn't know what I didn't know. Turns out their feet are on slippery ground. God's letting their way work for them, but it's not letting my way work. And so now I I'm open to... Looking and seeing and experiencing things differently. I love a lot of Brene Brown's work, and she will frequently write in her books My Breakdown, Cross It Out, Spiritual Awakening. Because when we're thoroughly convinced that our way doesn't work, it's the only time that we're really, really open and willing to hear something different and be capable of trying it. Uh, so it's great when you see people at the lowest of the low to be able to encourage them with that. This feels to you like the worst thing in the world, but I'm telling you, this is the best thing in the world. And in time you'll have that experience. It's not where we start, right? So I I also tell people that the truth will set you free, but first it'll make you miserable so that they can engage in that therapeutic frustration because trying to wrangle out. Okay. So I'm I'm broken, I don't naturally understand the way that God designed things to work. Uh, You can't know what you don't know, so now what? Codependency has a lot of different definitions, but I've kind of coined my own that I like to use from a Christian perspective, which is that when we broke, we cope around God's way and lean into our own. And only when that brokenness is revealed are we able to do the the true work of healing. So, beginning that process with clients and creating that collaboration and teaching them how Scripture describes the way that we're created in God's image and that we're one person with four facets, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, you know, physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental. And then being able to, take a look personally at how I function and cope different than how it was designed to be, because we're born sinners. So, we're already broken. We don't have that point of comparison, oh, it was great, and then I broke, and now it's terrible, and so I have a sense of what I'm getting back to. We don't have a sense of that. What comes to us naturally is the brokenness. So, learning how God designed it to be, taking a look at Scripture— and, and for a Christian therapist, just believing God's word is living and active. And that's a really powerful claim. But I get to see it front row seat all the time. So it's really just a, an exciting journey to watch that transformation. And, and I get to be a part of the education and then give people exercises and tools and have them practice it, bring it back, you know, and we, we work it through.
0: Anna, that that is so so good. Uh, it, me and Jeff, and I know you can't see us, but we're we're writing back and forth in the little chat window, and there was there was so good. Uh, we both we both just nodded and smiled with the the truth will set you free, but will make you miserable. Uh, and I, I think we're going. That's going to be the tagline for the uh, the podcast uh, introduction there. But other <laughs> things that the, the God's God's will in our way. Oh, my goodness, I've, I've lived that and how God allows it to melt down. Um, and that's, that's so true. I mean, you, you, you see that. Um, I've experienced in my own life is, you know, I, I lived life on my way, my will, and, and God allowed that but boy, did it, did it not, I wouldn't even say meltdown, it, it it collapsed, you know, that house of cards came tumbling down. And, 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 and unfortunately the, the problem with that is like you said, is there's, there's ripple effects there, there, there's trauma, there's hurt, there's pain, there's, there's consequences of that sin. And, and I think that's, that's something that, that you probably are seeing on a daily basis. And, and, and I guess you mentioned it earlier too, that, you know, this is this is hard work and you chose the harder path and and because of that, you know there's this concept of of vicarious trauma and and, and what that does to the counselor and, and and it can be an occupational challenge for those that work with trauma on a regular basis and and it can lead to things like burnout and, and other issues related to the counseling and helping profession. and And for our listeners, could you just explain what vicarious trauma is? And maybe what are some forms of self-care or prevention that Mm -hmm. you would recommend or you actually implement to keep from causing impairment to the counselor?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Vicarious trauma is also known as secondary trauma. It's essentially discovering you're experiencing trauma, the effects of trauma as if you'd been the person traumatized, even though you didn't live through the trauma but you're hearing someone else's experience of trauma. First responders uh, often have um, trauma stories that they tell that the therapist then, you know, you're a person you take, you know, you can't shut your brain off. And so you take that home and it's hard to shake it off. Uh, working with uh, child abuse survivors, you know, you can hear some terrible stories and some of those went on for years. So it's challenging not to internalize it and, Um, have it become part of your storyline, which sounds weird and crazy, but trauma professionals (laughs) will know exactly what I'm referring to. Early on, when I was working with um, adult survivors of abuse and I'd just gotten married, I decided to take a break from that and shift gears because it was very difficult to have a marriage relationship and have these stories in my head when I would go home. Um, So I shifted to child abuse work and then I had a kid (laughs) So, yeah, I had to shift again because I had no empathy for the abusers. I wanted to <laughs> take justice into my own hands, so that, that wasn't a good option. So, I shifted again. So, I, I could see how God's worked through all of that as well, and I think I found that my mindset matters quite a bit. Um, when, you, when you really believe that you're not God and it's not your job to save people, it's only your job to care and to journey with them. And to be a witness to their trauma, um, there's a concept in trauma work called memory reconsolidation where you go into your memories that were traumatizing because you were experiencing trauma and you begin to add in facts and resources that you have now to overcome and to transform the emotions So that when you put the memory back. It's different than what it was originally. I call that giving it a proper burial. And it's a very powerful therapeutic technique, but it's, it's good for our clients. It's good for us. And being able to take your spiritual resources and use them to ground you in your moments. Uh, other tools and techniques that I actually teach My clients, and I've found it's helpful to teach it to everybody, not just to trauma clients, but I specifically do it with my trauma clients, and I practice it myself. Um, Our exercises to soothe the autonomic nervous system, like grounding and reality checks, doing 478 breathing. Um, There's rocking, bilateral stimulation. All of it keeps the autonomic nervous system healthy and well tuned so that when you're experiencing situations of trauma, you can calm yourself. And, um, and be in the moment and yet not have this, the um, side effect of, of experiencing as your own trauma. So having that mindset, using some exercises to, to keep my own um, autonomic nervous system, you know, it's your fight or flight, uh, so that doesn't kick in. And then I think just having a sense of what's a good balance for you, even though I'm a trauma specialist and I do a lot of trauma work, I don't have a full caseload of trauma. And I don't, uh, I only will take so many trauma cases on any given day just to pace myself, to have a sense of what I can handle. Some of it's trial and error. You just have to figure out, you know, what your capabilities are. Um, I think other huge things is doing things that, that renew you and rejuvenate you um, from relationship with God to relationship with, with other people that are healthy in your life. Um, Having your own supervision, just having places where you can talk about some of the experiences and and just get that emotional support is huge. In my organization, we do peer supervision where um, our clients all find releases that we can talk, not sharing their confidences, but just sort of generically sharing some of our personal experience and reaction to stories and getting some of that help and support. So that we can keep our spirituality healthy, keep our emotionality healthy, healthy our mindset.
1: And if I could, uh, something you said there about just memories and, and visiting the emotions and then going back to the memories. Is there an intersection here for uh, the prayerful healing of memories? Where where can that parallel, where does that join in, uh, kind of that theophastic uh, prayer working through the, the pain and, and letting the light and truth come in. How does that coincide with, with the therapeutic uh, angle as well?
2: Mm-hmm. This isn't exactly what you're a- asking me, but I'm going to kind of add this into the answer. In trauma, what you find is, and in Christian therapy, you're also going to encounter people who have been spiritually abused. So I take a very um, direct And I'll say cautious approach to prayer, not that I don't believe it's not necessary or powerful, but I will say to people there are certain things that praying harder doesn't make better. And working with them to identify the difference between spiritual healing and physical biological healing, there's a difference. There are certain things that heal our biology and our brain. When trauma happens, we're washed with neurochemicals that is now scientifically shown to actually change the brain tissue. And if it happens consistently over long periods of time, they're now researching and speculating that it can even change our DNA. What we also know is that we can do exercises, make choices, engage in relationships in intentional ways that heal us and that actually also can change our DNA. So they're doing research now to show, for example, Alcoholics that pass down, um, I'll say, like faulty DNA to their to their children, where they're missing certain receptor sites in the brain that sets them up to also be an alcoholic. Not that every child of an alcoholic also becomes an alcoholic. So it's really fascinating information out there. So if you if you biologically just don't have certain receptor sites, praying harder doesn't necessarily change that. It doesn't mean that God can't change that. It just means that that's a miracle. God sometimes does it. He decides when he does it. Doesn't mean we shouldn't ask, but it means that we need to expect that typically God works within the means that he's ordained. So knowing how things are designed to work and developmentally grow, how that gets affected by trauma and other experiences, figuring out how to heal that in an organic way is really crucial. And I think primary. And prayer is a part of that. So, appealing to a supernatural God who promises to transform us, but He chooses how He transforms, and we we don't have that control over the outcomes. We just control our input. Uh, So, having some of that mentality coming into both the diagnosis and the treatment planning, and then working out with clients, that process of healing. I've seen God do some supernatural things that I just didn't see coming, where I'll assess someone, I'll see narcissism as a result of not getting narcissistic needs met in childhood, and say, well, this is going to be a long journey. And they'll show up to a session, the next session, sometimes, sometimes a couple sessions down the road, and they get this epiphany that I never could have given them in a million years. (laughs) And it's clearly God working. And I have other people that have so much promise when they come in, but it ends up being a really long, grueling journey. So I've learned not to put my uh, perceptions or wants or desires in God's way. And it doesn't mean I don't have them. (laughs) So it's important to know, you know, that I've got my own, um, perceptions and my own desires and, and then to hold them kind of loosely do what God's trained me to do and then wait and see what he does and work with, you know, what I'm actually seeing in my office, um, so, so theophastic prayer, I think, has a place, but I I get concerned when I see people because I have clients that will come in and do this. They'll come in and then instead of actually engaging the biological, developmental, organic healing process, they want to interrupt that and go off to a uh, um, a conference on theophastic prayer or you know some some other kind of prayer necessary healing, and um, and and actually it's a way of avoiding the true healing. So, in and of themselves, any of those. Groups potentially have some excellent pieces to them, but broken people in broken places can do some unhealthy things with it as well. So I approached the question kind of cautiously and wanted to give some clarification uh, from from my perspective and my experience. You know, it's a collaborative thing. It's not you know one apart from another.
1: Robert, you are in good hands, my friend. Wow. I, I know. I don't want you to be jealous, but I'm,
0: I'm very fortunate and lucky to, to, to be able to spend some time over the next uh, several months uh, learning from Anna and uh, Anna, that was so good. That was such good stuff. And I, I, I appreciate and uh, you taking the time to sit with us and, and our listeners and just to share your experience, your knowledge Um what what you've seen over over your career um it's a it's a it's a real treat so and, and a mm-hmm. gift so thank you Anna for for just being with us today
2: <laughs> thank you thank you
0: and, and I'm I'm looking forward to getting started uh with you and Jeff I'll keep you posted on uh, on on all the great boy, oh boy nuggets that I get to to, to absorb so listen don't be jealous you, don't be jealous. All, it's okay it's okay
1: you know i kind of want to move way upstate uh, except for the fact that y'all are living in the hibernian winterlands of the southern tier and my my poor hispanic wife can't take any more winter than she already's got so boy You
0: know, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, obviously in the Southern tier, it's definitely not as more populated or as much populated as where you're at. And the the options, I would say, are very limited. So when I was looking to go into my practicum and internship, um, I was worried. And uh, once again, God just orchestrated events and and uh, and and brought Anna to, to to my to my mind and, and, and the, the information and, and here we are. So I'm very thankful for that and thankful and really excited to get started. Um, and, and for everything you shared today, uh, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you. So Jeff, we have uh, a, a couple more guests slated uh, coming up for the podcast. Uh, do you just want to share a couple little in- information on uh, who's coming up?
1: Yeah, real quick, we've we've been talking about this. Um, We have Janae Spencer coming on. Uh, She's a practitioner up in the Boston area. We're going to be talking about biofeedback. We're having uh, Liberty's own residential professor, Dr. John Thomas, come on to talk about um, sex addiction therapy. And you don't even know about this. Uh Uh-oh. You you ready? Okay. We are also going to be interviewing our very own Robert Svitala. Oh, I didn't know about
0: that. (laughs) (laughs) How did I not know about that? (laughs) <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, uh, we'll make it to probably episode 19 and then they'll have that'll, to get, That'll be the uh, Yeah. Hit the but cancel button. That's so that's a, on the agenda. <clears throat> all right. That sounds great. I'm excited. Uh Anna, once again, thank you so much for being with us. I want to thank Jeff for for coming along for the ride and also all of our listeners uh, i hope you enjoyed this episode make sure to check us out on all the podcast platforms iTunes google play uh, podbeam whatever you use check us out and um, and we'll hear uh, you'll get to hear from us real soon thanks everybody god bless and have a wonderful day